Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been, last week was a rough one. Yeah. Things just did not go well. Um, you hate was, to hear it. Yeah, it was no fun. You know, just a, a general, like, thought for everyone when you feel like you might be doing something as like a favor to a person, mm, but you big don't mistake. ask them if they need help or, mm. you know, for their consent before, nope. say, like getting a bunch of, you know, pulling together a bunch of reasons why stuff you're doing is bad. Yeah. Uh, you should not do that. Don't don't insert yourself into somebody's life unless you are close with them. Let me tell uh, you where you started to make a mistake in that scenario. Deciding to help someone. Huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are both say, dead inside. So this does mean that we are not, you know, we're not going to be yeah. your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But, I haven't felt a feeling in 10 years and I'm doing great. So yeah. don't help. Don't um, meddle where you shouldn't be meddling. Certainly don't take action into your own hands and not consult the person you're quote unquote helping. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I Ever. know it's a little cryptic, but it is. we like, have to be cryptic. I have to be cryptic because I am, you know, I want to be. And this is, it just, there is a really, really fine line between being looking out for someone who might need more information and being a messy bitch who lives for drama like the Babadook. Yeah, I think and the, the the message or the key or the moral of the story is always, you know, you're helping someone if you've consulted with them and they ask you to do something. <laughs> like I would I would do you a favor if you called or texted me and you were like, hey, could you do X? Right. I'm like, absolutely. I will do X for you. Same. What I would not do is wake up one morning and be like, I feel like Meredith wants me to do X. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do X and assume that she'll appreciate it. Right. And yeah. then you and then you get mad at me and I'm like, what? But I felt your energy <laughs> telling me <laughs> I should do X. Ugh, yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah. Just like remember that good communication with people you care about is essential. Mm. And that means in all directions so just remember, it's always better to talk about your feelings, talk about your concerns, talk about your worries, and then proceed with a course of action that both people agree upon as yes. rather than literally anything else. I think that's a good piece of advice for relationships, for friendships, and also for social justice movements, because sometimes I see people who are not part of marginalized communities saying we should do X or uh, this marginalized community. I'm like, has anyone talked to anyone within this marginalized community? Yeah. You know, <laughs> to there's what a, they want. There's a really, you know, that ties very nicely to a lot of things that have been happening in the reproductive justice movement and mm, yes, dealing yes, yes. with abortion and reproductive rights restrictions. <laughs> the uh, Rosie's Meredith, I know, that out. Was, <laughs> I know that was Rosie, but that sounded like you have a sound effect for reproductive rights, and I'm not. <laughs> saying you have to take that squeak toy from Rosie to use every time we talk about reproductive rights, but I'm not going to discourage you from doing that. You're not not saying that. 
you know, it is very common to see white women with a lot of financial advantages coming into spaces and getting very involved at times when the women of color who have been doing work in the most endangered, most struggling parts of the country have been working for years. And a very common thing to hear is, yeah, hey, nice to see you. Where you been? We got this. Yeah, and that's (laughs) that's valid. And I like I am forever thankful for my general ineptitude and laziness in that I was never the white woman who was like, I am coming into this community to spearhead a campaign to quote unquote save people because again, due to my utter lack of um organizational skills, feelings, um, feelings, uh ambition of any kind, I'm always just like, I'll be back here and if y'all need me let me know and I'll roll through, but I'm never going to be the person who's like, <laughs> I got this, you know, which in a way is a benefit because those people are insufferable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Glad that my own little like complaints about my tiny life can be, you know, can tie into the larger, the larger. We made it work. Scape. We made it work for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, now I know, I know people are probably listening to this and they're already alarmed and horrified that we have not talked about Eurovision. Let me just say up top, I am saving Eurovision because ooh, we needed good news. Very uh, badly. We were really episode. struggling. We, I texted <laughs> Meredith and I was like, I have one good news item and it is a personal vendetta of mine. Um, do you have any good news? And you were the one who was like, we should talk about Eurovision. I was like, oh, right. That was something happy that happened recently that we yeah, can talk about. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to save Eurovision. That's why we're not going to talk about it in the pop culture section. My big news pop culture item for this week that I wanted Meredith on the show to talk about is for men. men. <laughs> <laughs> the new Alex Garland film that just came out. So just a heads up to everyone. We are going to talk spoilers because I don't see a way around it for this film. We have to talk about spoilers. So I do realize it just came out. Many of you have probably not seen it yet. So if you are avoiding spoilers, uh, jump ahead to the the music cue for the bad news section because I, I do feel like, here's the thing. Meredith, I am going to sort of recommend men. How do you feel about it? I, I, I think that's about where I land. It's worth seeing, especially if you like Alex Garland movies. It's not my favorite of his. I guess, like, I I feel like it's not a must-see. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say that there's a lot to, like, admire and dig into if you're feeling it. Frankly, like... The kind of weird thing that happened to me in my showing. And then we're going to talk about the film, but I just have to describe this, like micro weird thing that happened to me at my showing. So you were just talking about how you should see it if you're a fan of Alex Garland, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that manifested in your screening. How that manifested in my screening was there were several men who came to see men on their own. Mm -hmm. And clearly Alex Garland fans, you know, just because like, why else would you go to see this film, this small film on your own, unless you were like a hardcore fan of Alex Garland's. There was a guy who, first of all, everybody had, like, I will say, like, respectively chosen their seats because it was very lightly attended. There was maybe, like, eight of us in the theater. 
you can see the map of the seats when you're buying your tickets. So no one sat directly next to anyone else. We were all sort of like spaced apart. So (laughs) we sit through the trailers. The film is about to start. And this dude rolls in last minute. He's seated directly next to me. He whips like the way these recliner seats are set up is they have those swivel tables attached to them. Oh, yeah, yeah. He smacks mine into my knee, says nothing to me, sits down, sighs loudly, and is like fiddling with his seat, I'll say the first five minutes of the movie. And it's very loud because it like whirs as it like goes up and down, you know. Oh yeah, like, those are not those are not they're not quiet mechanisms <laughs> to to recline into the full airplane bedtime yes. viewing experience. Right. So I'll say like during the movie. Uh, whatever he, he's he's quiet um respectful but then this very surreal thing happened afterwards where i like fly out of the theater afterwards because i'm just trying to get home as quickly as possible this dude somehow kept ending up directly in front of me where i would pass him and then i would be on the escalator and suddenly he would walk past me and stand directly in front of me i was like okay annoying so then i would go down the escalator out the door I'm walking to the subway. I walk very fast. Somehow he's in front of me again. And then he starts to vape. So Mm -hmm. he's smoking and he's blowing smoke directly into my face. So I'm like, okay. So then now I'm like, this is weird. So I make a conscious decision where I'm like, I'm going to walk as fast as I can. Meredith, it happened again. He ended up in front of me. Okay. Are you sure he wasn't the green man? I took a photo of him that I'm going to send to you right now. Okay. Okay. Because it was so weird. I'm like, I have to take a photo. And it just fit the theme of men so well that I was like, I is this man real? I sh- If I can't find the photo right now, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. I just want to tell everyone because I actually did take a photo of this man. Okay. I'm sending it to you right now, Meredith. I texted it to you. Desi. My God. So <laughs> he is oh, wearing a, mm-hmm. a Captain Frank's t-shirt which i guess captain frank's is a restaurant let's say yeah definitely seems like it's a restaurant he's wearing uh shorts but i think they're like camo printed shorts they look camo there's they look camo in the there the photo's a little fuzzy but it looks like they're camo yeah (laughs) the photo's a little fuzzy because i took it in a frenzy uh i was absolutely i wasn't even mad i was just sort of like this is so strange and surreal that this keeps happening and again after seeing men i was just like is this i guess uh what's his name rory rory Uh, Kinnear. yeah Kinnear. who i guess let's start with this it was it supposed to be a reveal or a surprise that he's every man for the most part in men uh i the more I think about it, the more I don't think it is. Like, I don't think that it was a fuck up that the trailers show that it's all him. Because in the trailer, I was like, oh, he's playing every character. That's cool. Yeah. I think that, like, the... I think it was Garland getting heavy on, like, too heavy on the metaphor of it. Mm. it because... Let's just say this whole thing is way too heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, like, when there's a man making a movie about how women can't escape the, like, ever present threat of male violence and shittiness, like, yeah, you could just cast one dude to play all the parts. 
because mm-hmm. that makes it very clear what you're doing. Um, so, because what struck me about the movie is that Jesse Buckley's character, Harper, doesn't really react to them all being the same. Like, you see her yeah. reaction to these guys doing this stuff, but she doesn't, there's never, there's no moment where she says, wait, you look just like him. You look just like him. You look just like him. Why does this little boy that called me a bitch and the creepy vicar look exactly the same? You know? And there's there's two schools of thought for that. One is that she's aware of it and the other is she's not aware of it. But But the movie needed to speak to that at some point, I felt, because to me, the creepier version is she's not aware. She can't see it. Yeah, that's the thing that like, because what's the insidiousness of being a woman in the world, right? Like you are walking around and you see individuals and you believe that they all have different motivations, different backstories, different reasons for being. And so thusly, it is possible to meet people who are good. But like, if you can't see that deep down, they're all the same monsters, right? They are all the same monster, I guess. And I, I'm really, um, yeah. I'm really compelled by that idea. I think that's a really interesting idea. I just think that yeah. the film never quite get, never gets there in exploring that. I will say, like Jesse Buckley is amazing in this film. Oh and yeah, she's, she's amazing in everything. One of my, like, she's easily one of my favorite actresses working at the moment. She's she was incredible in The Last Daughter. Um, there's another movie that I need to look up really quickly that I know she was in because she was great. She's um, good in but... everything. Um, and then Rory Kinnear is incredible. I think like his posh countryside accent is absolutely hysterical. I genuinely loved that character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like Jeffrey with a G, of course. Yes. His like bumbling misogyny was like actually very watchable. I sort of wish that character had been in it a little more. Yeah. Um, I was thinking I, about Wild Rose. That was Jesse Buckley's mm. breakout movie. Um, if it was very small, it didn't get much play. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. She's incredible. So I had a really hard time watching this film. I was trying not to watch it like through an American lens because mm-hmm. like part of the problem with someone like Alex Garland sort of saying like, I'm going to speak on behalf of women mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. And I like I wanted to talk about his his filmography a little bit because like he does this a lot and I I feel sort of conflicted about that because on the one hand I feel like if a if a you know ostensibly what we know about Alex Garland if a cis het man white man decided that I'm going uh, to make a film and I'm not going to consider the female perspective at all i think that would rightfully earn them a lot of criticism right yeah but on the other hand if you have someone like alex garland who i mean like going back to 28 days later has consistently had this critique of toxic masculinity and has made an effort to present the 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 female uh you know gaze into his film and he keeps returning to this and he keeps harping on it. In 2022, it's starting to feel a little like, well, why do you get to tell this story? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't a woman get to tell this story? Because inherently what happens when a-, a man keeps doing that is this felt like Alex Garland just took his first course in feminism. <laughs> 
Yeah, it did have a very 101 mm-hmm. vibe to it, which, you know, where I found it to be more difficult to stomach compared to some of his other attempts is that, and there's a really good piece in the uh, on, at Inside Hook by Charles Romesco, where he's talking about being pretty mac on the film. And he, he gets very into the obviousness of it. Like, why... Why get so deep into folk horror if you're going to, like, if you're not bringing something to it and you're still going to have such a shallow, ultimately, even with the, like, it's about trauma, it's a shallow exploration of the after effects of the relationship that ended, that left her yes traumatized. So the, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, that part really left me cold because like the I, I think I would have enjoyed it more if they had made it less like understandable. Like if it had been less yeah. explained and more inscrutable and more abstract, I think I would have ended up digging it. But they explained just enough for me to say like years like and I Charles even says this in this it's like the foundation of this is flawed. And so it's like you can see enough to know that it's it's not going to hold up, but you don't get to see this, the weird shit that actually he's very good at when he decides to lean into it. <laughs> to me, the strongest part of the film is the last 10 minutes where Absolutely. he goes full Alex Garland. Clearly he had this image in his head of the same man being born to himself over and over and over again in different forms. And it's absolutely horrific and it's mesmerizing. Oh, you can't look away. It's very true. (laughs) When that fucking dude comes out breached birth style from his own mouth, I was like, this is incredible. Like, I've I've clearly never seen anything like this. I am watching (laughs) a truly unique moment in film, which is like, for people who see as many films as we do, that is like the rush you're looking for. (laughs) Like. That's why we like Alex Garland. And I wanted the whole film to be that. Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Like, if given that he has never made a film that hangs together through 100% of the movie, and like (laughs) it all, like every single one of his films falls apart in the last third. Mm -hmm. He's gotten better, I would say. Now it's probably the last 20%. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, at least this one where he decided, like, it's the rest of the movie that feels like it's underbaked. And this part felt like, well, at least you're leaning into your love of body horror. Like, if you if he had built from that rather, like, in a more interesting way, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Same. And uh, circling back to what I was saying about, and I was trying not to look at this through an American lens. If the premise of the movie is that all men are ultimately the same. Right. Like mm-hmm. there is there's an undercurrent of badness to all dudes that women can't see and and men are ultimately these pathetic creatures. Right. If that's the spirit of the film it gets a little complicated, in my opinion, that she had a black husband, mm-hmm. um, Papa Asudu, who is like briefly in this film before he dies by suicide. And he is a. he's playing a bad man right (laughs) like a bad and if we're to believe like that all men are ultimately the same that gets complicated for me because it's like it's the dynamic between a white woman and a black man is different 
from the dynamic of a white woman with a white man, right? Right. So and, and the, that's like, like and these things are, but they also are distinct in like Britain, you know. So you know from from the U.S. So right. that's where I, I think I see where you're going. So keep keep yeah, at it. it. Well, where I'm going with it is that Alex Garland seems utterly uninterested or um, unaware that it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's a it's a failure of colorblind casting, like to put which it's like you want this, but it, this is a situation where if it was an entirely white film, I don't think it would. I mean, it's in the British fucking countryside. Like, yeah, you can make this statement and have it not be universal. And I think that, yeah, there's a universe like trying to universalize it, like does a serious disservice to the actors and you know just to, to, to people that care about this shit right but there's a scene like they get into a very bad domestic uh dispute where he ends up uh hitting her mm-hmm. and she says i'm gonna call the cops and i'm like i was just watching that and like again i'm an american and i'm aware the dynamics in the uk are different but i don't think they're that different and like i could just tell that Alex Garland was like, did not understand like the power of a white woman in that situation saying, I'm going to call the police. Right. Because um, we don't explore it at all. <laughs> it's so true. And then you see her calling the police later and they're totally useless. And Use- one of and them which, is Rory which, Kinnear. <laughs> which I give props to. Like, listen, that nine times out of ten, that, that will happen if you call the cops. <laughs> they will be useless or somebody's going to get hurt who should not have gotten hurt. So, like, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't like, well, please portray the police a little more favorably, Mr. Garland. Oh, that um, part I definitely wasn't thinking of. It was more that it's just <laughs> funny that she says she says it and she doesn't do it. And then, like, horrible things happen and yeah. then everything else kicks off. And then she's like, okay, now is the time I'm going to call the cops. And they're like, yep, turns out this naked tree god uh, that we found in your garden we're just going to leave him here because he seems harmless. <laughs> oh, but let's talk about like, there were a couple scenes in this film that were legitimately scary. Yeah. Oh my I, God. Absolutely. I, all, all props to Garland. Like I said, if it had, if it, there was less of an identifiable through line to the theme and less explanation, it would have been fantastic because there are multiple scenes that in isolation are absolutely chilling i would have been totally okay if this film was busy businesswoman jesse buckley rented a cottage to finish work because i did like that sort of read of capitalism where it's like this woman is just trying to relax but she still has to work yeah yeah and we had some brief allusions to something traumatic that had happened to her but we never explore it and then random men start hunting her (laughs) <laughs> I would have been okay if that was the film and we never had an explanation of like deep trauma that happened to her because of like due to domestic abuse and we never had the full explanation of like what these guys deals are and it was just all a little more abstract yeah I think that 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 works for me I mean what was the part that what was the piece that scared you the most when she is sitting in front of the windows and he is randomly popping up fully naked beside behind her. Oh my god. Yeah. That and she's like, a- you think you think she's gonna see him like six different times. And she but doesn't. The, the way that the scene is shot and the way that the blocking is done 
she's always looking away at the right moment. She's always in just the the wrong sight line. And blocking is beautiful in that they choreographed it like a dance. But that was the scene in my screening where the audience was like verbally reacting. Yeah, that was that was mine too. We didn't I only had a couple more people in the screening. There was maybe like 15 of us. Um, some very chatty people behind me. I was quite frustrated, but I mm. let it chill. Um I had the exact same thing. There were like three people who came in together and they talked a lot. And I was like, guys. No. And not yeah. even in the fun way, like a good sort of like get the fuck out or right, like right. what are you doing or look behind you. Like I've been to show like I go to I went to a lot of movies in Times Square. I know how this works, but yes, these people were not doing it in the fun way. But oh, I was so creeped out. I also found um, like the scene in the rail tunnel. The first time she very frightening was, you know, that's in the preview. The full scene is gorgeous and atmospheric and terrifying. And that's the you know, that leads to the first time she sees the green man pop up and you're just like, Oh my God, what? No, it's really <laughs> scary. And the way he shoots it of like him running towards her in the dark. That's very scary. I, I was interested in the theme of like echoes and obviously that, that plays into like the whole trauma thing and how you end up haunting yourself, you know, because of unresolved trauma. Um, but the idea of like a man <laughs> being birthing another like version of himself over and over I did find to be really interesting I just think that ultimately the the whole thing was a little base a little rote a little eye-rolly you know like if you're if you're any kind of feminist you've you've thought about this stuff a million times over already and it just feels like ultimately like 30 years too late <laughs> yeah well and, and there's been I think it's it's also just a good time to it really nails down how we're I think at another inflection point for horror films because there should always be atmospheric horror films there should always be psychological horror films we always need this stuff we need you know they're always about metaphor but um there's a limit to this like elevated horror thing like you still have to have something that really connects at the heart of your story. Um, and this like, didn't do it. There are several coming out this summer that I think could be well, very I was gonna solid. Say, <laughs> it was pretty revealing that a large chunk of our conversation, our text conversation about this movie was us talking about other previews we saw. Yeah. And uh, which well, that we're very this. excited about. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Watcher being one of them. Um, but yeah, that's pretty revealing that we were like, oh, did you see this? Like other stuff was exciting us more. But yeah, I mean, I'm still going to um, sort of recommend it just because uh, Rory Kinnear and Jesse Buckley give incredible performances. And that last 10 minutes is bomb. It's very good. Yeah, I think that you've you've basically summed it up for me. Nicely done. Yeah. And Alex, like, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm not saying that I don't feel like people should make movies about trauma. I'm not saying that Alex Garland shouldn't continue to try to make like woke feminist shit. I just think we need to make more space for like women to tell their own stories. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What I'll say, I guess. Hollywood. I'm talking to Hollywood. They listen to the pod. Um, this one, like women writers and women directors tell stories. Yeah. Let's get some like let's get some more of them. 
Yeah. I feel like they're out there, right? I feel they like they want to work. I feel like they're <laughs> lady film creators who are like, hey, I would like to work. Yeah. So, also, yeah. let me, like, let's just also, I'm sure that listeners understand and know this, but we're not out here trying to advocate or trying to say that it's impossible for someone to tell a story about a character who is not, does not share all of their attributes. Right. Like, I am, this is not a thing that I believe. I think that it's, what's more important is recognizing and being sensitive to that and being creative, trying to incorporate, you know, if you have a sense of, if you have an, a reputation as an auteur, think some of this shit through before you decide that you're going to do this. Like, you know, at least when it came to Annihilation and it was an all, almost all female cast, it was based on a book. You know, he wasn't coming up with it out of thin right. air. Um, and I will say to his credit, he always collaborates with women on set. Like he was saying that, I think he was talking about specifically the scene with the vicar in the church, uh, the church garden when <laughs> the vicar's like, what did you do to uh, cause your husband to kill himself? And Jesse Buckley reacts in a very like, fuck you way, you know, but apparently that scene, if, if this is the scene he was talking about in the interview, it, uh, I heard, and I think it was, he originally wrote it as her being very frightened mm-hmm. by his response and Jesse Buckley at some point on when they were shooting sort of like pulled him aside and was like, hey, if if a vicar said this to me in real life, I would be furious and I would tell him <laughs> to go fuck himself. And he was like, awesome. Awesome. Let, let's film that. And they ended up using that. And I think it that got a huge pop in my screening. Like the women who were there laughed very hard at that. And I oh, think yeah. it was because of that that recognition where it was like you would tell this man to fuck off in real life. You would not be scared. You would not run away. You would be like, you're a motherfucker. And I'm so glad that he listened to that feedback. And he said he was like actually really embarrassed when she pointed that out because he was like, oh, my God, of course. <laughs> of course, you would be angry and not scared. But that's the power of having a, a woman, you know, on set being like, hey, and she would thank God was heard and like appreciated. And they put it in the film because otherwise, like, can you imagine she had been afraid in that moment? <laughs> I would have laughed my ass off. Like, I'm sorry. It was just, there needed, given that the whole film is about her not noticing things, like, thank God she was at least aware that she could tell somebody to fuck off. (laughs) Even if he's like a holy man. Yeah. So now that I've referenced that interview, I do want to recommend it to everybody. Sean Fennessy over at The Big Picture had a really good interview with uh, Alex Garland and Sean, to his credit, like presses him on some of this stuff where he's like, you know, they have a whole discussion about like, why do you feel like you have the right to tell these stories? And Alex Garland does uh, speak on what Meredith was just saying, where he believes that if you are respectful and do the work and are knowledgeable enough and honor these stories, anyone can tell any story. Now, the extent of that, how far you can push that. I think that's all up for debate. But at least in his mind, you can tell he's like, he feels like he's coming from a good, righteous place. Yeah. Well, and and he's, let's just put it this way. He's doing better than a lot of directors. Correct. Correct. 
Absolutely. By doing that, does that mean that he's doing what's very close to the least? Yes, (laughs) but that's okay. (laughs) And also, let's say like, you know, I believe that if you're a fan of someone, you can still criticize them and critique them. And like, I really like Alex Garland. It's very rare that a writer can transition to full director like he has. I think that's very admirable and cool. I think he has a million great ideas. Again, the last 10 minutes of men really show that where it's like this dude has a unique mind and I want to keep seeing him create shit. But I don't think that means you can't push back a little bit and occasionally Mm -hmm. be like, hey, what are you doing, man? (laughs) Like, careful, because in fact, it means more because it's coming from a place of love, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what other things have you been so, checking out? Do we want to... What's up? Sorry. Do we want to talk about the staircase? Uh, I think we do. Okay. I think we do. So <laughs> if if you're like a true crime aficionado, the staircase is one of those true crime... I don't even like calling it a story because it's real people's real lives. <laughs> like a real event that happened. Um in, in 2001, Michael Peterson, uh, this semi-well-established author, um, and and uh, his wife, whose name I'm spacing on, um, which is very telling. Kathleen. <laughs> Kathleen. Thank you, Peterson. They were home one evening, uh, chilling, drinking, Um, according to Michael, having a good time. And then uh, something happened and no one will ever know really what happened. But ultimately, Kathleen Peterson ended up at the bottom of a staircase, dead uh, in a very, very bloody scene, which is part of the reason this story really took off. I mean, the crime photos are horrific. Um, But ultimately, what happened was Michael Peterson was accused of killing his wife and Um, A group of French documentarians became aware of the story and, you know, they had already been very established and very awarded as documentarians. And they decided that the staircase story and Michael Peterson were going to be their next big documentary project. And they shot a very, very, very popular documentary called The Staircase that I did watch and it is excellent. Um, It's 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 highly biased, but (laughs) it's still very compelling And now there's a new HBO documentary about everything. It's about the murder, the trial, the documentary, the documentarians themselves. Like everybody is in the HBO series. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's not a documentary. It's a fictionalized. Sorry, you said documentary. The HBO series is the fictionalized version of all of this But the documentarians are in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole documentary is in it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a a fictional series. And um, Colin Firth, Tony Collette, like the cast is stacked. and it is like you I think you put it pretty well where you were like, it's not good, but it's like compelling. And there are parts of it that I think are like very well done. Like there's a moment in the series where they show both versions, like the two main theories of what might have happened. And one is like Kathleen falling and how she could possibly have fallen to have the head wounds she had. And then the other version is Michael killing her. And they they show both of them and they're like so fucking intense and real and again mesmerizing in a way that like you cannot look away. Both of them are very like upsetting. Like so upsetting. It's also like there's 
it was nice to see that they decided that I thought that was a good choice. Like, but let's really talk about why we're both such fans of this and have been texting each other and kind of watching them at the same time every week. Speak on <laughs> is, it. Speak on it. Uh, is that it is crazy rich people being <laughs> awful and extremely horny in hilarious ways. Yeah. These there's people something... are ridiculous. And it's like hard to articulate, but there's a very specific kind of wasp that is like hypnotic to me where it's like Mm -hmm. the way they communicate with each other, the way they like articulate. It's such a specific jargon that like it's, it's hard to get, but if you get it right, it's like, Oh my God, like you are crushing. And like the way that Colin Firth plays Michael Peterson, the way they've written their family dynamic scenes, listen, the the actors they cast as their children and how they pull things off. Like, Sophie Turner, Dane DeHaan, uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, yeah, (laughs) like perfect casting for the kids. Oh, and the other girl, I forget her name. Yeah, Um, the one who's Martha. The other one, the other one, Martha, which, by the way, classic. We can't remember Martha, the actress who plays Martha, because that is such a Martha detail, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Listen, does Michael Peterson uh, rim Kathleen Peterson at some point when they're making dinner? Yes. Okay, that happens. Is that artistic license? Probably. But it yeah. felt authentic to the moment. Well, right. And he's doing this right after he has canceled plans to hook up with a dude. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, um, uh, yeah. The, the specifics of the hoardiness, the like weird, like the way that they play with the dynamics of his bisexuality, the way that they like write in a lot of like. Patrick Schwarzenegger is perfectly cast as this like garbage son who does real estate in Cabo. <laughs> and. I know it's because he's Patrick Schwarzenegger that he's so good at this, but oh my God, I have seen that fail son in every bar yep. I have ever been in. Yeah. He he really wants to tell you about the internship he got with Goldman Sachs. Yep. Yep. He really, really wants to tell you. Um, and he and his bros are definitely doing coke in the bathroom. A hundred percent. But it's super not gay. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they just want you to know they love the ladies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I That scene, the way they shot that was incredible where I'm like, is this going to be a sex scene? Oh, no, they're doing coke. They're doing coke. Right. Yeah. But I was con- I was 100 percent convinced that this that his body was blowing him until I was like, oh, no, they're doing the they're blow. doing cocaine. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the fact yeah. that they never quite speak to the fact that the other son did plant a bomb on his campus. They just campus. call it spring break. You were on spring break is another great wasp detail where it's like, yep, they would say he was away at camp. They would not say he was in a, a federal prison. Yeah. So I, I guess like I've been feeling the need for, I've just been feeling like I've watched too many things. And so this has been a real balm because it's ridiculous. The cast is stacked. Like we haven't even gotten to Juliette Binoche and her character Parker Posey we didn't talk about Parker Posey yeah Parker Posey crushing it as an ADA in the um the North Carolina like district attorney's office oh my god just um Michael uh Stuhlberg yeah Yeah, like he's fucking like again from from top to bottom cast is stacked everybody's killing it um and my concern whenever I watch something like this, like I was concerned about this and the girl from Plainville, Plainville and um, the dropout. 
any story that I'm like highly familiar with, I'm like, are you going to surprise me? And the staircase keeps surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And where the surprises come from are never totally clear. I feel like that was, uh, has been, it's just been a delight. I just want, I just like seeing overqualified people do elevated trash and it's nice to see our own version of it and not having to watch like another fucking Downton Abbey ripoff. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Shout out to the Gilded Age. I enjoyed you kind of. Um, So on that note, Meredith, is there anything else you wanted to recommend? Um, Can I anti-wreck the sadness? Oh, my God. Yes, you can. can. (laughs) Do you anti-wreck that? I mean, I think I have to because it's the kind of anti-wreck where, like, if somebody listened to this and was like, I think I need to see this. I bet I would have, I could have a great conversation with them, but like it did make me kind of nauseous. <laughs> it did make me kind of nauseous too, but in a weird, I was mad at you at first, okay? Because <laughs> Meredith did tell me to see the ser- the sadness and then you kind of started to walk it back where you were like, well, you got really, really, really happy. I, I just want you to know that. And I was like, I'm still going to watch it. And I was pretty mad at you. Mm-hmm. And then th- it was like weirdly compelling though. Like it is very intense. It's horrifically violent yeah and deeply upsetting but there were these glimmers where i was like now that was an interesting choice and that was really well done and i kept watching yeah and i think that that's like why i went anti-wreck it because if you it's about it's a zombie film it's a taiwanese zombie film cannot overstate how violent it is like, um, and I have to really, really stress that where it's like Meredith and I have a very high tolerance. And there were parts of this. I texted you where I was like, mm-hmm. is it going to get worse than this? Because I think I might have to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have very, very high tolerances. And yeah. it is not. The the violence is very. When there's the a people lot of like, there's a lot of like the threat of sexual violence and like very, very like graphic, like. A looming threat of rape at all time. And like, yeah, I mean, being a woman in the world, but like, you're, you know, a person who isn't a man in the world. Um, So this is, but you're right that there were some scenes that were genuinely fantastic and, you know, really scary. And I think I'm, I'm glad that I watched it, but can I recommend it when, you know, it's, it's like the rage virus, but people are from 28 days later, but instead of being wild snarling beasts they're able to talk they're able to have agency it's like they're overriding their sense of human decency and acting out whatever urges they have so it's like a lot of a lot of murder a lot of rape Rape, um and it's there's one scene that made it that i i feel like i would put it in like a a documentary about global horror films right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's, but I don't know that I would necessarily say people should watch it. You know what I mean? Like when they're they're on a train on a subway, and so the this lead is, this character. This is when I texted <laughs> Meredith because it was like every trigger in the same scene. Where like it starts with a woman being sexually harassed on the train, 
And then there is a, By a mild mannered dude who starts to get really aggressive. He starts to get a little a little nice guy with her where he's like, I have been respectful. <laughs> like you see this man like unravel in real time and reveals himself to be like a sexist piece of shit. And then uh, he is infected with the thing that brings his true self to the light, which is a. Uh, a, a misogynist rapist yeah. and uh, a horrific scene plays out on the subway where this, this thing spreads and yeah. people just start murdering, like stabbing the shit out of each other. Yeah. And it's like a, clearly a long time between, so it's, it's all happening between stops, you know, mm-hmm. like, so of course, if you've ever been on the subway and you've seen something creepy happening yes. or you've ever thought about that, that minute, um, that minute is- between stops suddenly unfolds into like, it feels like hours. <laughs> Yes, uh, it's fantastically choreographed, but it really and, and like did a fantastic job of laying out why this is such a night like would be a, such a real life nightmare. However, it's just so freaky. <laughs> it's so freaky. It's so overwhelmingly violent. Like, I think we the sadness demands like a new rating system from us where we're like we anti-wreck it unless you're a freak and if you're a freak you might like yeah. it <laughs> yeah it's like if you have ever like if you have good things to say about your experience watching the film cannibal holocaust yeah. it could be for you right if you're somebody who still dabbles in horror or likes gore Ew. but has you know can still get kind of unsettled don't like avoid it. So yeah, I think it's a it's an anti wreck except for the freaks. Unless you're a freak, and then you might enjoy it. Check out the sadness. But again, we have thoroughly warned you. I better not get one mad tweet from anyone being like, "This was violent." It's like, yeah, we we warned you thoroughly. One hundred percent. Nope, that's good for me. Good. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, guys, on that note, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. Here's the bad news. Okay. So uh, I texted you all of the bad news stories I wanted to cover today. And so much bad stuff had happened that you were like, oh my God, that's right. Buffalo was this week. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, it was. And we absolutely have to talk about it. So as we all saw on the news, this horrific shooting happened um, at a grocery store in Buffalo. A 18-year-old named Peyton Gendron arrived at a Topps grocery store and gunned down 13 people um, ages 20 to 86 and they were all black and lo and behold turns out uh, Peyton is a big old white supremacist and had written like a bunch of manifestos about uh, hating black people but also hating Jewish people you know all the classics and had somehow, even though he had uh, been caught plotting a school shooting and was like interviewed by the police and red flagged and all that stuff, somehow got his grubby little hands on not one, not two, but three guns and was able to pull off this horrific shooting. So again, 
hate to be the person who keeps banging this drum, but white supremacy is the number one threat in this country and stuff like this is going to keep happening. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even add to that because, well, I can in, you know, to, but not about the white supremacy part, I guess I can connect it to how he sought out a place to kill people of color and he did it by going to the one grocery store in the black part of Buffalo because Buffalo is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And it's the only grocery store within two miles. So thanks to decades of planning, highway building, redlining, systematic racism at every level of government and society, we created a situation where a white kid who had to drive three hours to get to this store had zero trouble identifying where he could go to hurt and kill as many people like many people of color as he he could yeah, possibly find. It, it, it was like systemic racism and gentrification made it possible for him to accurately hunt black people. Yeah. And it's horrific. And it's horrific that we've I've seen people getting into the well, you know, what his but his man in his manifesto, you've got the regular shit poster defenders. His manifesto says that he's like calls himself leftist. He hates conservatives. He thinks Fox News is bullshit. And you have people saying like in one of his last discord posts, he talked about how he had a toothache and maybe in jail he could actually get it, you know, get it dealt with. So like economic anxiety. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Just fuck off. I've already seen seen the uh, economic anxiety takes, the um, is this mental illness take. Is white supremacy a mental illness? Um, no, white supremacy is white supremacy. <laughs> racism is racism. Uh, racism is not a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what I'll say to that. Um, but yeah, I... You know, it's it's so horrible and it's like so heartbreaking when you start to see the profiles of the victims and it's always the most tragic story where it's like dude was just showing up to a grocery store to buy a birthday cake for a family member's birthday party and now he's fucking dead. It's like always those stories and and we're going to see more of those stories and it's like absolutely no one deserved this. These are just people trying to get through the day and I am largely uninterested in the motives of a white supremacist, like whether the dude had a toothache or not. I'm like, listen, we all have toothaches, right? We don't pick up three guns and go murder a bunch of our neighbors because they happen to look different from us, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, deal with it, my dude. (laughs) Like, learn coping skills. So, I like, when people start to explore shit like that, I'm like, to me, what's the only thing that matters is... Where was he radicalized? How was he radicalized? And more and more, it's like YouTube, no shit. We know that. We got to start talk, start talking about the algorithm and how videos are recommended to people, you know? Um, and how did he get those guns? Because if he's not radicalized, if he can't get the guns, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Just, we need, and we're in the bad news section, so obviously it's not going to get any harder for people to get guns. It's going to get easier for people to have guns. It's going to get easier for people who haven't just been flagged for possible dangers by the police. People who have been convicted of violent crimes, people who have been convicted of domestic violence, 
I think that just happened in Wisconsin, um, are going to be allowed to have guns. Like what these, these actual warning signs are not going to be enough. Um, literally anyone will be able to have them. And there's no, there's nothing good that can come of that. We are, we are rapidly, rapidly churning out radicalized, racist creeps, entitled creeps who will have unlimited access to weapons and zero sense of self-control. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on just because we're running a little long. Yeah. So I also wanted to talk about um, this baby formula shortage, and we're going to tie it into the larger abortion debate and the so-called pro-life people, because recently nearly 200 Republicans voted against a bill to ease the baby formula shortage. So, and I know this has been pointed out a bunch online, but I think it's a good point. How are you going to be pro-life and say people shouldn't get baby formula? (laughs) It doesn't make sense if you're so pro-family, if you're so pro-babies. Why don't you want babies to have baby formula? Yeah. So, go ahead. I haven't looked, I haven't looked too far into this, but... My guess is that some of the, at least some of the people who um, voted against the baby formula bill were big supporters of the, of shifting regulations for baby formula production such that the plant that was responsible for making this baby formula that got tainted and then led to this massive shortage and um, that allowed them to turn into an absolute fucking cesspool full of bacteria that made it dangerous because God, like, because Republicans are against things like FDA regulation and plant inspection. And we should say like it led to the shortage, but also two babies died (laughs) from the the tainted formula. They, the plant absolutely needed to be closed, but yeah. more importantly, before it needed to be closed, it needed to be inspected and they needed to have to do the things necessary to keep the baby formula from becoming tainted. Yeah. So you pointed out to me uh, these two recent Supreme Court decisions that are related. Um, do you want to talk about that SEC one? Yeah. So the um, this was a Fifth Circuit Court decision. Every, that's right, that's right. If you're not familiar with the Fifth Circuit Court, um, they are very bad. <laughs> And they're Um, bad because um, we don't pay attention to uh, judicial appointments. And so the fifth, like an enormous number of really, uh, really egregious. uh, Typey, um, typey, typey, typey. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Just I I had to make sure, pull it up to to illustrate why this is to. So. An enormous number of cases that have led to decisions that set the stage for things like the abortion ban have come from the Fifth Circuit because its its appellate jurisdiction includes Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. We've got Texas, we've got Mississippi with, I mean, so this is why when they come through, they make terrible decisions. Um, So they ruled that the Securities and Exchange Commission um, does not have the authority to levy penalties against uh, entities that are found to have committed violations of the rules. Right. 
essentially. Like it, yes, it's more complicated, but there is, I've seen this argument come, happening in Wisconsin with the state Supreme Court when it came to things like COVID restrictions. And I believe it's happened in other places, including these states, um, saying that if Congress, if the legislature hasn't made an explicit law, like made a law that explicitly gives a certain body or a certain executive, like certain care, like government actor power to do a certain thing, then they do not have the power to do anything. Right, right. So and that means that now we're talking about the SEC, right. the one of the financial regulating bodies. <laughs> We haven't had any problems with financial regulation in the past 20 years or so, right? No, there can't not possibly be anything. Certainly not currently. Certainly no time in the future will we need that. Uh, right. So even for as useless as they can be, given how they handled the financial crisis and the actors behind that, they still ostensibly had power. Right. But what's really important here is that we're seeing these appellate courts and we're seeing the Supreme Court pull out rulings, you put out rulings saying that government functions that we've taken for granted for decades are no longer possible. They are saying that now that we have a situation where there's minority rule in tons of states where, where there are split legislature and governor's office, there's total stymieing of any attempt to get something that the majority party doesn't want through. So we're at an almost total standstill legislatively when it comes to passing new laws and the judiciary, which has been heavily stacked with Trump appointees is now coming through with all of these decisions saying that absent an explicit congressional or legislative dictate basic government functions can't happen. So, so say you have a baby formula plan <laughs> that, <laughs> exactly. is, that has poisoned baby formula and you need the government to like intervene with say like quality control or having inspectors come in to make sure your baby formula isn't poisoned. This, this decision is basically saying like, well, because government's broke, we can't fix anything. <laughs> and I mean, I will stipulate that has not that is not that specific decision has not come down. Right, right. But we have seen these these similar things have happened in different industries. This is, uh, you know, there have been fights over meat plants and um, meat processing, um, industrial farming, you know, ag gag laws where making it illegal to actually expose wrongdoing in industrial farming have passed in many places. So we're we are in a situation where the the only place where there might be checks on some of this fuckery are actively working to remove those checks. And well, speaking of the check yeah. on the fuckery situation, the other <laughs> Supreme Court uh, decision you sent me or the Supreme Court decision you sent me regarding <laughs> uh, or being related to Ted Cruz is the Supreme Court struck down a federal restriction that applied to candidates who lend large amounts of money to their own political campaigns, which is like a victory for people like Ted Cruz and will ultimately mean, I mean, not that we don't already have a lot of dark money in politics, but even more dark money. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes, I think it's, there has been a steady march to try and undo 
basic campaign finance. I mean, they've been working to try and overturn Buckley v. Vallejo since 1975 when it was decided. But to watch this happening and to see these things happen, I mean, we have millionaires lending money to themselves and there's no check on, on paying it back. It's just, you know, knocking down the few small rickety gates that existed to even sort of protect um imagine a fence that's falling over you know like Mm -hmm. this is just one where somebody just knocked down an entire wall of it (laughs) right right well sort of uh related and circling back to what we were talking about with the baby formula oklahoma's legislature on thursday passed a bill that would ban abortions from the stage of fertilization and allow private citizens to sue abortion providers who knowingly perform or induce an abortion, quote unquote, on a pregnant woman. So this is one of the most radical interpretations in the country of of when pregnancy begins. This is rolling back the clock even further to the moment, the moment Mm -hmm. the little sperm gets in that egg, that's a baby. Which is not scientifically the moment a pregnancy no, begins. <laughs> it's not. It's anti-science. Can you believe it? From the Republicans? What? In Oklahoma? Never. What? Never. They're not known for that. So, yeah, obviously this is incredibly dangerous because uh, that's not a fucking baby. So it is insane to accuse someone of murder for uh, aborting that, that little sperm and that little egg. Yeah. And well, so this is, again... It's modeled after SB8 in Texas, so they worked very carefully to push it further using what was already determined to be like an okay law by the Supreme Court. So this is really fucking scary when you add in that already abortion clinics in Oklahoma had seen a massive uptick in women coming to the state to get abortion care because of what was happening in Texas. Um, this is going to expand that dead zone for access to reproductive care even further. And as many people, they're creating political refugees where it's like, they're going to have to keep migrating further and further and further to get access to a medical procedure. (laughs) Yes. And also not just that, but creating a situation where it's going to criminalize miscarriages. I mean, it's going to make it, it's going to endanger the health of pregnant people because it's going to make it impossible for doctors and pharmacists, even if they want to provide care to do the things that they need, because there's no protections for them against someone deciding to come and say, but you prescribed this drug that meant it was an abortion. Even if they're like, it doesn't matter if medically it was a miscarriage and they say this is necessary to complete it. People just will not care. The point well, is to terrorize women. See, yeah, exactly. And you already see the judicial system like experimenting with this. And the way they start experimenting with stuff like this is on on subjects who are unlikely to get sympathy from the public. And that is drug addicts. So mm-hmm. we've already seen like a handful of these stories, probably more than that, of, of women who are addicted to drugs and miscarried and have been charged with manslaughter. Yep. Yep. And that has happened all over the place. There are even, um, I believe there are women currently in California, which is, has become a place where a lot of politicians have said, we are going to create 
a safe haven. We're going to codify Roe. We're going to put all of this stuff into the Constitution. We want to make sure that it's there. There are district attorneys prosecuting drug users for, yeah. you know, losing and, and that's how, And that's awful in and of itself, but that's how it'll start. And then it, they'll expand outwards. Absolutely. And it's exactly what you said, Meredith. The goal is to, you know, criminalize any act of, of a woman, um, you know, uh, miscarrying anything like it's to completely criminalize all of it um, and to make women completely subject or um, subjugated. You know, um, mm-hmm. that is ultimately the goal of it. So, yeah, the assumption is also that they like and they are operating under the assumption that people they want to be healthy in their pregnancies they will find a way to make them okay. But they are operating under the assumption that people they hope would die right. will die in we'll pregnancy. Die. Because, the undesirables. Yeah. It's always getting rid of the und- undesirables. Um, on that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. Here's your good news. <laughs> So as I've said multiple times in the past, sometimes the good news section is just for the airing of my grievances against a political foe of mine. And this is just one of those instances where something bad has happened to someone I don't like, and I consider that to be good news. So a SpaceX flight attendant recently said that Elon Musk exposed himself and propositioned her for sex, according to court documents. The company paid $250,000, also known as a quarter of a million dollars, for her silence. Um, So some people have speculated that maybe this is why Elon bought Twitter, has been saying, like, uh, talking about the PC police because he's trying to get ahead of... Um, so this story I'll say, but also know that whenever anything like this comes to light, it is but one of many instances. So <laughs> we might be hearing, we probably will be hearing, uh, about more, uh, run-ins Elon has had with women who didn't want to have sex with him. So, uh, I, that made me laugh very hard. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, anytime he gets exposed as a terrible excuse me, as a terrible person, it just makes my heart sing. And uh, it's not as if we didn't know. We, But it's always nice to see it confirmed. It's always nice to see him get caught doing something terrible. Yes, yes, yes. Um, It's always interesting when there's like a clear connection between, oh, the PC police, you can't say or do anything anymore. And then a woman comes forward who's like, I wouldn't fuck him. And he got mad. It's like, oh, right. Okay. I see the clear the clear connection there yeah exactly it's like he did it she i just like you can't do or say anything everybody always gets offensive and she's like he took his junk out you can't take your no. dick out in front of anyone these days without them getting all uppity about it Ugh, these damn feminists <laughs> at her it's job like, how is it so- uh, Ugh, how are the penises supposed to breathe allison like how don't men understand that like she didn't want to be at work that day let alone see your dick you know mm-hmm It's like, this is probably like, you had a bunch of really obnoxious requests and demands of her before you decided (laughs) to expose yourself. So like, 
can you please just keep it at asking for your water some specific like insane temperature instead of like I'm going to have you trapped on an airplane trying to fuck men you. act like not taking their dicks out is an impossible task I, well yes it's and we've talked about this on the podcast believe before, it or too. not we People have just yeah love <laughs> they just i don't understand it does anyone have any insight why do dudes seem to be convinced that their dicks need to be out all the time because i'll be honest with you guys like and i'll say this this is my opinion as a hat woman, Meredith, you don't have to agree with me. We tolerate your penises, okay? It's They're not, like, beautiful. We don't want to see them, right? Like, do we ultimately like what they do? Yes. But do I want to see it when I'm at work? Like, no, dude. It's not, like, a glory to behold. No, it's not. And half the time, men don't even know how to use them well. So it's, like, you're getting... I'm just, like, okay... I don't need an untalented sea cucumber in my life. Yeah. I could just have an aquarium. Free band name, untalented cucumber. <laughs> sea cucumber, untalented sea cucumber. Sea cucumber, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. So in actual good news, let's talk about Eurovision. Oh my God, this made me so happy. I was overjoyed. Everything about it was beautiful. Um, well, no, to start with, I was pissed off because for some reason all kinds of ballads got sent to the final and that really yeah. pissed me off because there were some serious bangers. Apparently San Marino and Latvia were considered to be in bad taste by the juries. Really? Which is why they didn't make it to the finals. Why? They are very old and stodgy. So there was a disconnect between people who wanted to see hot fuckboys and people who wanted to see like quote unquote artistry, mm. which like I'm sorry Eurovision jurors from like I don't even know Switzerland. It sounds like this is where the future it is. It sounds like their version of our Academy Awards. It is very much like that, actually. I think that's a great analogy. Um, so there were too many sad songs by people who did not have interesting performances, but there were some real gems in the final. Um, and I will Serbia. Say, oh, Serbia. I, will, I loved her. Oh my so God. Good. Constructa singing about the importance of mental health separate from physical health if you read if you weird like, marina abramovich thing. i was like what is this weirdness and then i was listening to who weekly and Lindsay weber actually like read the lyrics of the song and i was uh-huh. like this is beautiful yeah like a really beautiful yeah. message so that made me uh root hard for them in the finals mm-hmm. absolutely and i mean the the top like Again, I think it's a little ridiculous that the UK came in second because that song is so ridiculous. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. I mean, he's a giant Labrador of a man. (laughs) And that's okay. I like a Labrador. Sometimes you just want someone who means well. I think that a lot of people wanted to, uh, you know, give the UK something since they're still contributing money and like a lot of money and they got zero votes last year. Um, But as would be expected, uh, the popular vote came in and gave them the greatest, you know, the most votes of like ever received by a band to Ukraine because it turns out they... Don't let anyone fool you. You Eurovision is extremely political. So that's the thing. Like people and- were so <laughs> down on this because they're like, it's a song contest. It's not supposed to be political. I'm like, I'm sorry, go fuck yourselves. Because it's not like Ukraine was bad. Ukraine was very good. 
And yeah, they were very good. Guess what? You can't separate politics from our lives. That's like what politics does. It's it's everything. It's everything that happens. Like it's just the reality of the situation, right? Nobody can forget that this horrible thing is happening right now where Russia has invaded Ukraine and is killing Ukrainians. Like we can't unremember that, right? <laughs> so And we shouldn't. we shouldn't. And like the idea it's always been questionable. This the reason why this is different is because when there have been conflicts in the past that led Eurovision to basically say, okay, well, if you guys are going to be at war, then neither of you can come. That's happened with Turkey, Greece, Cyprus, like these things have gone on in the past. Um, this is the first time where you've had like, it's a fucking invasion. Of course, Russia doesn't deserve to compete. Of course, people are going to feel for you like Ukrainians and Ukraine. There are fucking millions of Ukrainians in every single one of their goddamn countries. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, like, again, it was a good song. Like, it is a banger. You know, it is a little bit of an uh, an earworm. So I thought it was very well earned. Did I burst out crying when the popular vote came in? Absolutely. Like, how could you not <sighs> be moved by that? It was beautiful. I was very happy. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up having Eurovision in the UK next year, only because the, in case you're curious, the way that things work, if you're not, if a nation is not able to host, then it goes to uh, bids from other countries within the Eurovision Broadcasting Union. And whoever, like whatever country submits the most appealing bid is then given the hosting duties. And I say it would probably be the UK because like whatever first world country, they came in second. They have the infrastructure. They could, yeah, yeah. You know, that if they're going to have to deal with, you know, they'll have the money to do it versus like a lot of countries that have basically spent all of their money on like providing for Ukrainian refugees. Um, So I do think that's probably likely, but you know, look, if you look at the top five, I would imagine that you'd see one of those countries end up taking it as far as the duties, because as much as there is a, it's a beautiful dream to say next year in Mariupol. Yeah. Doubt it. For sure. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, it was great. Also, I think just there's, it was just a lot of joy. It was beautiful. It was wonderful to see Monaskin perform. Apparently that song is doing quite well in Europe yeah. on, playing on the radio. So they just performed it on Jimmy Fallon. They're doing great. I think they might, it was the first in my memory time that the band that won or the performer that won the year before did not perform the song that they won with. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I think it's because they're the first group since ABBA to become international superstars. I gotta tell you, like, I knew they would do well. (laughs) They popped the fuck off. Oh, yeah. They're doing so well. They're fucking everywhere. I just, like, I hear them on Spotify on random all the time, and I'm like, that's wild. Yeah, they're like their singles actually. They're good. Get played. They're <laughs> performing. They're. I wouldn't be surprised if they have another album and they perform on SNL again next year. <gasps> would like, love, would love. I would really they, like him to yeah. finally be able to meet Timothy Chalamet because he's obsessed with him, and I'm like, that would be <gasps> really amazing if Timmy hosts and he gets to meet him. Oh my god! So my dream for the next year is Dune Two. Timmy hosts. Yep. Bonaskin performs, and the two of them have to play brothers in a. I'm sketch. gonna get more specific. Timmy has to host on Christmas because that's when he hosted last time, and I just think that should be a tradition now. And Pete should come back to do part two of uh, the the rapping sketch. The rapping. Yeah. 
I that would like be <laughs> viral instantly. This is why I produce everybody. You'll they'll hey. pop off on on all the socials if they do that. You you know it's genius ideas. I, you know those are my last thoughts. I just always have to give my love to to the kids of Monoskin because they're so good. Bless them. They're just really great and they're doing they're, it. You know they're very good at what they do. They're little rock stars. I'm really happy for them because they also just seem like the sweetest and they're having so much fun. Yes, I guess Victoria was ill when they were supposed to perform at Fallon, so they took a oh, cardboard cutout of her and posed. Out of her, oh my god, that's so yeah. Funny. So then they just took her around like rock, like the rock center oh. area, and took pictures with the with the cardboard cutout. Which that's I mean, cute. that's incredibly dorky. But man, how do you go? Like you can wear a, a harness, like a leather harness and underwear at Coachella when you perform Womanizer by Britney Spears and then do stupid, cheesy, incredibly sweet bits you know, with Jimmy and Fallon. That's why like, they're like that's, range. that's why they're like <laughs> rock stars or superstars. It's like they really can do both where it's like they're so hot and then they're like really sweet and goofy. And it's like, oh, you can put these kids anywhere and they work. I know. It's like, God bless the Italians for finally figuring out how to take theater kids and yes. make them interesting and cool. <laughs> yes, they're such theater kids, but they're also hot. It's like, you did it. You did it. Great job. Um, and then finally, let's shout out Liliana. Um, do you yes, want to talk Liliana about this? Segura. you sent it to me, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Liliana Segura, criminal justice reporter for uh, The Intercept, Met several years ago, wrote a story about Claude Garrett, who was in serving, uh, I believe, a life sentence in prison for starting a fire that killed his girlfriend. Uh, and she wrote a very long piece about exposing the larger problems with arson science and also all of the problems with his case. Now, two weeks ago, I believe he was released from prison. His sentence was overturned and now he's a free man. She was there to meet him and say hello. And, you know, she often likes to give the credit to the Innocence Project, to his other attorneys, to the um, to the Conviction Review Board in, ten in Memphis, I believe it was, uh, that looked in like looked at his conviction and, and put things in motion to get him out and advocated for that result rather than fighting it. But she wrote a long form piece that did an enormous amount to get attention for his case. And she definitely deserves tons of praise for the tireless work that she put in uh, and managed to help somebody get his life back after something like 25, 30 years in prison. And that's just incredible. And I will never do anything as meaningful (laughs) as that. So I will appreciate it. I will appreciate my friends for having an impact on someone's life like I always that. like to call Liliana our Kim Kardashian do you know what I mean like <laughs> she's fabulous she's getting people out of prison that's how I describe Liliana <laughs> yeah except like actually yeah. good <laughs> yeah yeah although that makes Radley Balcove her <laughs> Pete Davidson <laughs> Which, I mean, like, listen, it's not a read. It's not a diss, you know? No, they are an odd couple. He's technically a libertarian. (laughs) So I suppose that does mean that, you know, we can work with it. But anyway, yeah, I'm just really proud of the work that she did. And um, 
you know, we'll, I can add a link to the story that the initial story that she wrote. Uh, it's really fantastic work. And if you ever read about fires and people talking about arson, be suspicious of that shit because yes. those guys do not know what they're Listen, talking you about. Guys, and like be so suspicious of so-called, you know, perfected forensic evidence. Like we're watching, we were talking about the staircase, right? And blood splatter patterns played heavily into the evidence presented to the jury in that case. And, like, we're seeing more and more stories come out about how these, like, CSI um, procedures are bullshit and the so-called experts are being exposed and people have gone to prison for life. People have been executed on these types of evidence. Mm -hmm. Basic, basically all forensic evidence is a sham. Exactly. Even DNA has its problems, but it's absolutely true that that uh, arson science, uh, bite mark analysis, like tread analysis, all all of it, like even gun stuff. Yes. And like all of it, extremely questionable. And Meredith spoke on this, but like DNA evidence like gets cross contaminated all the time. And again, people go to prison for life because people think like. DNA, you know, that that's 100%. It's like nothing's 100% because everything is handled by people and people make mistakes all the time. And people yeah. can like, deliberately if- <laughs> contaminate evidence all the time. It would be really nice if the people who think that COVID science is not reliable would also port that <laughs> yeah. over to science used in criminal justice. Seriously. Because then a lot more people would probably not be facing wrongful convictions. Somehow I think that's not going to happen. Yes, I think you are right. Um, On that note, everybody, that's it for today. Please follow Meredith on social media, Meredith L. Clark. Follow me, Allison Kilkenny, on all the socials. Follow Light Trees and News on all the socials as well. If you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of the fact that you didn't hear one single commercial in this episode... Go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button, or my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. I know I have a couple messages over there. I'll get to them uh, the next episode. Sorry, Meredith and I had to talk at length about men. Um, Better not hear any complaints from men about the fact that we talked about men too long. Hmm? And uh, on that note, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, If you're vaccinated, get out there and cause a little trouble.